Welcome to BFNC Living, sponsored by Buffalo Federation of Neighborhood Centers. BFNC Living is a weekly podcast to help you navigate life issues and to help enhance our overall quality of life. We know life has many ups and downs, but a helping hand and a listening ear can help. Each week, we will share stories about a variety of topics, feature special guests, share information and valuable resources available in our community. Please follow BFNC Living at www.bfnc.org, Facebook and LinkedIn. Welcome to BFNC Living. I am your host, Chandra Redfern, CEO of the Buffalo Federation of Neighborhood Centers. And so we have been on break for a few months. I am glad to be back and I am glad um, about the guests that we have on our podcast this afternoon. So I would like to say that on September 15th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., BFNC along with Positive Steps Consulting, will be hosting a workshop, which is part of a learning series called Healing Together. And it is for the BIPOC faith and community, faith community and general community. And it's a learning series because we understand that it's very important to talk about mental health, trauma, healing, and suicide prevention in communities of color. And so we are certainly grateful to have had the opportunity to have this workshop series, which um, is supported by the Western New York Field Office of Mental Health um, as part of the Reimagine I Am the Change uh, project. And so um, Dr. Parker is our keynote speaker that will be with us on the 15th. The event is again from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. It will be held at the Moot Community Center at 292 High Street. There is still time to register if you're interested, um, but registration is required because lunch will be provided. And so today I am joined by Dr. Chisa Parker. Dr. Parker was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, raised by a single mother in a neighborhood that was riddled with crime, drugs, and poverty. Education and order were promoted and endorsed in her home. Chisa received her Bachelor of Science degree in nursing from Syracuse University in 2002. In 2003, Chisa moved to Rochester, New York, where she began her nursing career working in the long-term care, hospital, home care, chemical dependency, substance abuse, and dialysis settings. In 2014, Chisa obtained a Master of Science degree in nursing education, going on to serve as a nursing instructor in the classroom, virtual and clinical settings for over seven years, becoming the teacher she always desired to be. In 2022, she completed her Doctor of Nursing practice degree with a focus on addressing health disparities that disproportionately affect communities of color and health promotion. Chisa's most notable and endearing callings are that of wife to Marvin Parker Jr. and mother to their four children, Michaela, Makaya, sorry if I mispronounced that, Marvin III, and You're Matthias. Right. Her hobbies include watching movies, bowling, roller skating, and serving in ministry in her local church. So welcome, Dr. Chisa Parker. We are so happy to have you um, as our podcast guest. And I'm super excited to have you as our keynote for our final um, workshop in the learning series. And I'm just looking forward to it um, because we know that September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And there are a lot of things going on. But, you know, mental health, suicide and trauma are definitely things that we need to be talking about within communities of color, particularly within the black community. And we understand that although individuals in the black community may not seek out traditional resources, 
we understand that our faith partners serve as gatekeepers. And a lot of these non-traditional um, healers, we'll call them, are avenues for people to be healed, right? And to be able to address some things that have happened to them personally, but also things that have happened to us as a, a people, as black people. And so I'm really excited about the 15th. The series has been great. We've had a variety of, of really fa fantastic speakers. Um, but I want to start out, Dr. Parker, if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Okay, so before I do that, I just want to say thank you for having me. I am so grateful for this opportunity to share and, and speak with you today and to serve as keynote on the 15th. I'm really looking forward to it as well. Um, and just in my experience, as you read in my bio, um, I've had most certainly, first of all, most personal uh, experience. Uh, you know, as you read in my bio, I grew up during the crack epidemic. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember walking to school. I never took a school bus to school. My mother would walk me to school every day. And we'd be stepping on crack files, going to school and coming home, uh, you know, before the neighborhood deteriorate really rapidly due to um, the crack epidemic. And, you know, growing up again, you know, uh, education was really pushed in my home. You know, my mother been playing the games, you know, you go to school, you're going to behave and, you know, don't let them be calling my phone saying you misbehave and it's going to be a problem. And so yeah. it was really, um, you know, and really just a privilege. I think my mother really instilled in me the privilege that, you know, our ancestors afforded me to be able to go to school and to learn and things of that nature. So I've always taken education very seriously, hence, uh, you know, the completion of my doctor of nursing practice degree and just the experience of you know even that project for my degree i implemented a health promotion program amongst the fellowship of churches amongst mm -hmm. three churches here in upstate new york and you know i've always been an advocate and proponent of health promotion uh, because Jesus is an advocate of health promotion. You know, a lot of times in church we'll hear just about, you know, our soul being saved and things of that nature, but Jesus didn't just come to save our soul. He's not just interested in our soul salvation, but our whole salvation, yes. that we be whole in our spirit, in our minds, and in our physical bodies. So um, that's, uh, I guess, a little bit about being, as you mentioned, I'm a wife to a wonderful husband. We just celebrated our 19th wedding anniversary um, back in August. And our four little people, I'm finally free in the afternoon. That's why when you called and asked, when you emailed and asked if I could do the podcast, it's like, absolutely, because all four of my children will be in school at this time. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, we had four children in two and a half years. So the, the youngest two, our twin sons, Marvin and Matthias, they are officially in school now. So, yeah. Wow. That, that's that's pretty much. Uh, you are busy. Yeah, <laughs> very. <laughs> wow, wow. Thank you um, for that. And I, I think, you know, um, I appreciate, you know, you giving us a little bit about your background um, because a lot of times, you know, people wonder why people go into the fields that they go into and why they choose to do what they do. And I know much like myself, there are just things that you experience, um, you know, growing up, things that you see. And, you know, um, you want to you want to make a change. You want to do something yeah. better. You want to see people really be whole and and maximize their potential and and what they could be and what they've been called to be. 
So I have a few questions for you, Um, just some things. And and one of the things is, you know, I've been reading um, a lot of different articles, always reading about this. um, But there was an article in Counseling Today that talked about racial disparities and unfair differences in the mental health system and and how well documented they were. And in this article, it, it talked about, you know, that black and indigenous indigenous people, excuse me, compared to their white counterparts are less likely to have access to mental health services or to seek out services or to receive care. Or even it talked about the the poor quality of the care they receive or that oftentimes, you know, the services are are ending prematurely. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners some of your thoughts regarding the reasons or causes for these differences. Sure. You know, I think the reason or causes for a lot of these differences first begin with the palpable distrust of the medical community amongst African Americans mm-hmm. and communities of color. And it's rooted, I'd, I'd say, in what happened with the Tuskegee syphilis study between 1932 and 1972, and it was conducted to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis mm-hmm. in 400 African American men. And all the participants, uh, in that study, the researchers did not obtain informed consent from the participants prior to the study, and they did not inform the participants of the fact that they were, um, of what they were really doing in the study. So right. they were, you know, injecting it with syphilis, and then they withheld the treatment even after treatment for syphilis was available because the researchers knew they were looking to study the history of syphilis, what it looks like untreated, what would it do to the human body untreated. But they, they, did not inform the participants of that. So, you know, they didn't also account for, at least I don't think, that they accounted for those researchers, the fact that these black men who they were, who they injected with syphilis would then go home, sleep with their wives, you know, impregnate their wives, their girlfriends, and then the children would be born with syphilis and things of that nature. So when black people hear of these atrocities, um, they're less likely, all right, um, to really engage with um, health care and things of that nature, and most certainly not in a trusting way. And then furthermore, black people are often generally met with disdain and judgment when they do seek services mm-hmm. before they can really even share what's really going on with them. And their concerns are generally minimal, uh, minimized when they do seek care, which is known as medical gaslighting, in, in which people of color and women are more likely to be medically gaslighted than men. Mm-hmm. As research on various medical conditions have uh, has repeatedly shown that women and people of color's symptoms are often less likely taken seriously than those of white men. So that's why generally black women are diagnosed with breast cancer, for example, later, in later stages. And generally they don't have as great survival rates uh, when it, compared to their uh, Caucasian counterparts. And then lastly, um, I would say you throw in the issue of insurance. You know, uh, someone having Medicaid versus commercial or privately held insurance. Right. Research shows that Medicaid uh, patients experienced higher or increased barriers to care compared to privately insured patients or commercially insured patients uh, in a nationwide survey. Um, primary care providers in 2015, only 45% of them indicated that they were willing to accept new Medicaid patients, while 94% were willing to accept new privately insured patients. And providers may also alter their clinical decisions if they perceive, based on the patient's health insurance type or lack thereof, that the patient may be unable to pay for services. 
So I think these are the reasons, uh, in my experience, wow. that we see these differences. Wow. Wow. Um, and, you know, we, we all know about, you know, we've learned about the distrust of the medical community, um, which is, you know, it's unfortunate, right? But that's what happens when you ha when you have the opportunity, right, to develop trust with in anything, and and you don't, you you misuse that. Right? It's really hard to regain the trust of the individual or the individuals. And I like the term that you use, medical gaslighting, because certainly mm -hmm. being in the mental health field, we all talk about gaslighting. But I never thought about it from a medical perspective because, you know, um, we, we did a, an episode and we talked about uh, women's health needs. And it's something that we talk about a lot and, and why aren't people listening to women and particularly why aren't people listening to black women? We talked about maternal health and, and those types of things. But when you said medical gaslighting, that just rung a bell for me. And definitely, mm -hmm. you know, we have to consider um, you know, is that happening? Because there are a lot of, I run into a lot of, of individuals and they say, you know, is it me or what is going on? And, and obviously we know if there's a problem, there's a problem, right? We may not be a medical professional, but we know something doesn't seem right. And so right. a lot of times when it comes to mental health or we're talking about, you know, suicide ideation or a suicide attempt, you know, um, we don't talk about it in our community, um, in our homes. We don't talk about it in our churches or in our community until something happens. And then unfortunately, mm -hmm. sometimes we don't even talk about it in the right way. But it's when something happens that, oh, it comes up. Um, and so through your work, you know, you see the numbers as they relate to people of color and our youth. In, in your opinion, what can be done to address the disparities, the perception and stigma from a system, a community and a personal level um, as it relates to prevention and, and education? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's actually pretty simple. Treat people like human beings. Mm. Treat people as you would want to be treated or if you wanted to take it a step further, the way they want to, want to be treated, you know. And I think that this all starts at home. Um, if we fix the home, we fix the community. We fix the world. And a lot of homes uh, are broken. Um, maybe there's just a single parent there, or maybe both parents are there, and one is maybe not as involved, you know, as they should be. And, you know, folks are bullied at home. Home is not a safe place, and it should be. So I think, we, like I said, if we fix the home, we can fix the community. We can fix the world. And it starts just with simply treating people like human beings. You know, the bottom line, and, and that will fix issues at the systems, community, personal level, uh, even in the church. You know, if we treat people like we know that we are all created and made in the image and likeness of God. If you get cut or if I get cut, anybody gets cut, you're a human being, you want to re, uh, bleed red blood. Might have a different blood type, but it's still red blood nonetheless. So when we start to see people in this light that we're all made in the image and likeness of God, we're going to be less likely to mishandle one another. That's financially, you know, uh, the police is going to be less likely to mishandle a black person, a black male they come in contact with. Why? Because he's not a threat. He's the first and foremost. We're not going to view him as a threat when we encounter him. We're going to, uh, you know, view him as a human being. Perhaps he needs help. You know, and perhaps we could help him get the help that we that he may need instead of drawing our guns or things of that nature and, and 
treating him as a threat before we even know, before they even know, you know, if he needs help or what he may need help with. So, again, when we start to see people in this light and from that perspective, right, we're going to be less likely to mishandle one another and most certainly less likely, and, and we're talking about suicide prevention, uh, more or less likely to even harm ourselves. You know, Jesus in Matthew 22, 36 through 40 um, one of the Pharisees is trying to be funny and asked him, Master, what is the great, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus says unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we want to really address the disparities, perception, and stigma from on all those levels and from a system community and personal level let's start treating one another as if we know and that we know we are all made in the image and likeness of god we all have purpose we all have destiny that we are born into and we are then going to be less likely to harm others and ourselves thank you i i and i love the i love that you gave some scriptures to relate it um yeah. you know because um our, our symposium on the 15th it is for communities of faith and general community members but we really want to engage faith communities in having these conversations because so many times we see people that walk through our doors or they're seeking help and they don't want you know their faith leaders or people that they go to church or or to mosque with to to know what is going on with them because of the shame and the, and the guilt and we have to change that narrative and I, I love basically is the golden rule right treat people like you yeah. want to be treated and and that's where it starts that you know we have to I would say we look we have to look at mental health as a health issue right it, it's no different than yeah. if you're diabetic you have high blood pressure or something like we have to look at it for what it is and you spoke earlier and said you know it's about wholeness. It's not just, you know, physically I'm well, but in my mind or emotionally, I'm not doing okay. Right. So we're, mm -hmm. I'm not whole if, if that's the case. And so we need to have those conversations and let people know that it's okay. Right. And I see you as a person and as a person, yeah. as an individual that I care about, right. Cause we care about people. We want you to be your very best. And so how would I like to interact with you even as a provider? You know, a lot of times as providers, you know, we, you know, we, everybody uses a different term, a client, a patient, a resident, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever your field is, but they're just people. And I always try right. to say to people that, you know, I always say, you know, the, you know, time and chance happens to us all. And so it could be any one of us on the other side at any given point in time. And some of us have been on the other side or we have family members that have been on the other side. And so how would you like your family member to be treated? You know, those right. type of types of things to to help people. And and um, the fact of putting the scripture with it, because a lot of times when I do um, talk to other clergy people or people in church, you know, they they are really struggling with how to line all of this up, you know, with their beliefs system and I can understand that but you know um, it's it's it, it is in the scripture and and so it's important that everybody does their piece you know we're not asking faith leaders to become therapists or nurses or doctors but we are asking them like you said to treat people um, as they would like to be treated or as they would like their loved ones to be treated and to be a source where people can feel this is a start to healing so um, thank you for that and so when we talk about um, 
community healing and helping the black community understand what trauma is, it can be exhausting. Um, you know, we, yeah. we talked a, a few months ago, we talked about racial trauma and that was just unfolding a lot. Um, and of course, in the community, we don't walk around saying, you know, I'm traumatized this is a racial trauma. You know, we talk about things that mm -hmm. happen to us or we know that happen. Um, how would you explain trauma and what it may look like for an individual? So trauma is defined as an injury such as a wound, right, to living tissue caused by an extrinsic or an external agent. It's also defined as a disordered psychic or behavioral state resulting from severe mental or emotional stress or physical injury and emotional upset or a deeply disturbing or distressing experience. Right. So, and that's generally the definition of trauma, generally in reference to an individual or um, a small group of people. But then there's also collective trauma, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. But with trauma, you know, what could it look like? You know, and based on the definition, it could be any number of things. You know, um, I was talking with someone. I said, there's a, you know, <laughs> you get a paper cut. It's a trauma. Right. But mm -hmm. that cut is more likely to heal much quicker than that of a C-section mm -hmm. incision, All right? Because the C-section incision is much deeper than the superficial paper cut. Yes, it is. So both are traumas, mm -hmm. right? But some, uh, the paper cut is probably going to heal that much faster than the C-section uh, incision would. All right. And, and so that's how I would explain trauma in and of itself for the individual. It could be, and, and, and like I said, many traumas it run the gamut, molestation, abuse, um, you know, bullying. Right. It's a trauma. Um, maybe even perceived rejection or real rejection from a parent. That's a big one um, from a parent or a family member or a loved one uh, or a friend. Um, you know, so those on the individual level, right. that's generally trauma defined, and that's just some examples of what we could consider trauma. But then we have collective trauma, and collective trauma is defined as the impact or a traumatic experience that affects and involves entire groups of people, communities, or societies, right? And collective trauma really is extraordinary in that not only can it bring distress and negative consequences to individuals, but in that it can also change the entire fabric of the community. And that's generally what, you know, was seen in the aftermath of the Tops Massacre in 2022. Mm -hmm. And we see that after, you know, even after, you know, we, we saw George Floyd before that. And then Rihanna right. Taylor, right, for example. These are collective traumas. Yes. And then going further back, right, historically, we see consistent collective trauma amongst black people, you know, with the examples like of slavery. Yes. Right? Um, racism. The Tuskegee experiment, as I previously mentioned. You know, the civil rights movement, right, which was a great thing, but it was birthed due to the collective trauma that was experienced amongst black people here in America. And then fast forward, we have the crack epidemic of the 80s, in which black men and black people were criminalized. They were demonized, right? They, didn't, they weren't viewed as they needed help. Hey, they were impacted greatly by Reaganomics. No, they, they're just criminals. That's why they're using drugs. Right. And we know that the government flooded black communities on purpose with these drugs to further neutralize the black community. And we had the influx of welfare in the late 70s to further destroy the black community. Hey, mamas, you want this money, this government money, you're going to get that man out of your home. And as a result, look at the community today. Look at the black community today. 
right? And then, furthermore, uh, we saw the... Um, well, let me let me compare the crack epidemic to the opioid epidemic, and where, um, which generally, furthermore, impacted white people and blacks, and yet then they were deemed to have mental health issues. They weren't demonized. They weren't criminalized for that. And then in general, like we had September 11th, another collective trauma that affected everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had family members who worked down there at the Twin Towers. My father worked. Uh, he's a correction officer. He's retired now, but. He was down there, and he said from where he was working at the correctional facility he was, he looked out the window, and he could see people being blown out of the Twin Towers, jumping from those windows. You know, so post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, after that. Mm-hmm. He, he did, thankfully, you know, get some counseling to work through those issues, and he's fine. You know, but again, and then lastly, of recent, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes. So collective trauma. Um, so when we talk about collective trauma, generally this is what we're talking about, but since we're talking about black people, you know, a lot of the things that I named, black people have been through a whole lot in this country. Um, yes. But I'll stop there with my comment no, right no, now. No, 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 I, I appreciate I appreciate those remarks um, because it's going to lead me to the next question that I have because it's, it's something that people don't often think about, right? Um, and you were talking about just all the different events and it's so much. And sometimes, you know, uh, as individuals, even as a people, we we've gone through so much we've dealt with so much and we we never get really a chance to really address what's really going on and and how we're handling that or how we're feeling about it and a lot of times it comes out in different ways right so you know people always think about the behavioral ways and i think sometimes those are you know can be very extreme behaviors or some that aren't so much but a lot of times people minimize the effect of mental and emotional wellness on their physical health. And so as you were talking about all these different things, right, um, it's, it's just exhausting. Um, can you talk to our listeners about the correlation between your mental and emotional wellness and your physical health? Because sometimes people, you know, I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh, my head is hurting, my head is hurting. And I was like, you know, did you check your blood pressure? And they're like, no, it's fine. And they hadn't taken it. But, you know, I was like, well, you, you might want to check your blood pressure because I know that they're going through some a situation. But people don't always think about those things, you know. And so you have this prolonged, you know, issue of high blood pressure. And yes, there's medication. And I'm not telling anybody to not take their high blood pressure medication. I'm not a medical doctor. But what I'm saying is that there are other things that are affecting that individual. So we can take medication, but we also have to address some of the other issues that are going on. And we know, yeah, generally we're going to talk about our diet and things like that. But what about our mental and and emotional well-being? Can you you speak to that? Absolutely. You know, there is a correlation between uh, physical health and mental health. And they do most certainly have inverse relationships. A lot of times people have physiological disease manifestations that really began began as a psychological uh, disorder, right? Mm-hmm. If someone is angry all the time, um, they're going to always be in what's called fight-or-flight mode. So you're going to have this surge of epinephrine, uh, which fight-or-flight 
um, it helps us to either fight if we need to fight or it helps us to flight or run if we need to get out of danger, right? It, it's basically a mechanism to help preserve our lives. But unfortunately, due to the traumas that generally have been uh, committed against black people and then even black people committing traumas against other black people, right, it kind of keeps, and I've seen this and lived it even, I dare say, you know, in my growing up and seen it. Um, just constantly in that fight or flight, you know, uh, mm-hmm. cycle. And it's unhealthy. And yes. so black people are generally diagnosed with hypertension much earlier than Caucasians, usually in their 20s. But hypertension is also known as a silent disease, so most people don't even know that they have it. Right. Because you generally don't start seeing symptoms until it's pretty far developed. Mm. And as a result of constantly being in fight or flight, um, mode. You also increase what's called a hormone called cortisol, which increases belly fat. So I'm now over here smiling, Doctor Parker, because I was just gonna <laughs> say, you know, we we gotta have you come back and talk about cortisol and stress and, and all of that. But yes, absolutely. You know, but yes, and and so now you increase your risk of developing metabolic syndrome, type two diabetes, uh, and other cardiovascular disease. You increase your risk of heart attack and stroke. Stop flying off the handle all the time. Let go of the anger, you know, and and a lot of times, again, people are um, black people at large. It's like what we see on television. Oh, it's great to always be, uh, as the young people say, they always act ready. No, it's not. (laughs) You're constantly in fight or flight mode. You're raising your blood pressure, your heart rate, increasing your risk of heart attack and stroke. That's not cute. That's not cool. And it's most certainly not healthy. And if we don't fix the mind, right, a lot of that, well, let me put it this way. When we do fix the mind, right, our mindset, how we think and how we handle situations, generally, yeah, the person's probably going to see a decrease in their blood pressure, their blood glucose levels, right? They're going to uh, be able to even look at things maybe from the other person's perspective and say, you know, maybe I'm not always right all the time, but let me just consider maybe what this person is saying and, you know, and then hopefully get resolved, you know? So I I think that most certainly that is, um, there's the correlation between the two. You know, anger is also associated with back pain and gallbladder issues. Mm -hmm. I think people don't know that cancers generally are even associated with mental and emotional distress and disease. And, you know, uh, uh, just unforgiveness is a big one. A lot of times people don't even want to talk about it, but even the healthcare community is further looking at it again. You know, when blood tests come back and everything's normal, and they say, well, there's got to be maybe something else going on. And that's generally when healthcare providers will start to say, well, how about your mental health or your emotional health? How are things, you know, looking in those arenas? Um, But most certainly people have to, and they should make those correlations. And if not, hopefully here in this podcast, they will start to do so and start doing that that reflection, you know, to say, hey, am I holding unforgiveness against anyone? You know, am I too angry, too quickly, too often, and really do that reflective work to be able to go forward and be whole, help pursue their wholeness um, emotionally and physically? Well, you said a whole lot, and, you know, we're definitely going to have to have you back on because... 
they they told me we're at the one minute mark. I'm like, oh, this went quick. Um, I know, right? So we, we're definitely going to have to have you back. But quickly, I'm going to go to a, a final question. Um, and, you know, certainly if the listeners want to want to hear more, then they should register for the event next week. Um, but Absolutely. final question, as a community, what can we do towards promoting healing and mental wellness? Um, well, I would say, you know, as I, I guess I'll summarize everything I've said this far. First and foremost, um, the counselor, you know, they're all all right in their place. Um, but first and foremost, we all need to come to Jesus Christ. There is no other hope in any other deity or God or, uh, you know, anything else, any other um, concept or, you know, thing that someone might reach for, Jesus Christ is that hope. Uh, and until people really um, embrace that, you know, all the things, you know, that people reach for, they're really going to be futile, um, you know, to help cope. They're really going to be futile. They're going to run out. Right? People look to alcohol, drugs, and things of that nature. But it always runs out, and then you end up in a worse place than you were before. But Jesus Christ offers the healing and the hope that you really are searching for in that alcohol bottle, in that drug, in food, in sex, whatever it may be. And then, you know, as I mentioned, let's start treating one another like we know and that we understand that we are made in the image and likeness of God. All right? Fix the home. Let's get it right at home. You can't be kind to everybody else in the street and get home and treat everybody mean we cannot do that and expect then the world is going to be a better place you know um and i i think i would say that that's probably it in summary really if we fix the home first of all most return if you left it return to jesus christ and if you have not accepted jesus christ as your lord and savior it's really simple romans 10 9 and 10 says if you Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth uh, confession is made, for with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With the heart, there, there, there it is. Um, but nonetheless, that is how um, you can make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today if you don't know him today. But first and foremost, we have to get uh, the foundation of Jesus Christ right. We can build our homes from there, right? And then our world will be a much better place. So that's so, what I would say. Do- as a Dr. Community. That's how we Dr. Parker, you, you're sounding like a, a preacher there. So, um, uh, you know, for our faith community listeners, next week, come out, hear what Dr. Parker, Parker has to say to help you as a faith leader work with your uh, community um, as we work together to be uh, whole and and healed. And so it looks like we are out of time. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Chisa Parker, for joining us today. To learn more about BFNC or to listen to this and other podcast episodes, visit us at www.bfnc.org. Podcast episodes are also posted on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and the WUFO website and all other major podcast platforms. Thank you so much, Dr. Parker, for being our guest. We look forward to hearing more about what you have to say on next week. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to next week. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you.